The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm your host. I'm also the Director of Advancement and Admissions here. If you want to come to seminary, give me a call. If you want to make a donation, also give me a call. I have with me in the studio a dear friend, the Reverend Scott Cook. Scott, thank you so much for being here with me. Zach, thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you. So Scott is uh, Dean of Enrollment at Erskine College, and as such, he is ordained in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, which a couple weeks ago had its general synod in Bon Clarken. It's our campground just across the border from South Carolina up in North Carolina, about 40 minutes from our dear seminary here in Greenville. He also is an adjunct professor of Bible at Erskine and an adjunct professor here at Greenville Seminary, where he teaches rhetoric and is preparing a modern theology course, which will be an elective for our students. I'm looking forward to taking it or at least auditing it myself once it becomes available. Scott, can you tell us first just a, a two-minute snapshot of what it's like at the ARP General Synod, what the atmosphere is like from your perspective as one who grew up in the ARP here in the Greenville area? Yeah, absolutely. So if you were to come to uh, the lovely retreat center that we have there at Bond Clark and during General Synod, there are probably a couple of things that would stand out. First, uh, I like to say it has a very ecclesial feel, uh, feel to it. Uh, it very much feels like a large presbytery meeting where the focus is on the business of the court, getting together as presbyters to rule uh, the section of Christ visible church that the Lord has entrusted to us. And so there's a lot of a lot of business going on pertaining to world missions, home missions, or various agencies. That's really the focus. We don't tend to have a lot of workshops, seminars. It tends to be very church-focused. But along with that, uh, the General Synod has a very family feel to it. You know, we're a very small denomination, about 250, 270 churches. Uh, a lot of people have been in the denomination for generations. We go back over 200 years. So that size and also the fact that, uh, you know, we probably are uh, a little bit above or below the OPC and communicant membership, but we are very geographically located so that most of our churches are in the southeast. We have some great churches in Canada. Uh, we have a couple of other synods that we've helped start in other places in the world. But because most of our ministers and churches are located particularly in the southeast, almost everybody knows one another. Almost everybody knows one another's families. And so you get whole families that come together for synod. And uh, so it has a, a good family atmosphere to it as well. And I would say on the on the worship side, you know, for a lot of our listeners who are ordinary means of grace presbyterians the worship that we have at synod is very much like uh, the worship that you'd see at the greenville seminary conference or at twin lakes very simple straightforward preaching of the words singing of hymns and psalms uh and particularly because uh, up until about the 40s we were an exclusive psalmody denomination we have a, a deep tie and connection to singing the psalter uh, so that would be kind of a feel of, of what it would be like if you were to visit the synod 
what I've appreciated in my own observances when I've gone as a visitor to General Synod, I don't even have to check in at a gate. I mean, I just walk right into Bon Clark into That's the youth right. center, sit in the back, and, and people are warm and gracious to me, whether they recognize me or not. But uh, as a visitor who's looking into the ARP from the outside, what impresses me is how comfortable you all are in your own skin. As you said, your denomination's over 200 years old. You know exactly who you are, and and there's no contest there. There's no faction or party spirit. It, it seems like even though there's differences and there's dialogue and deliberation and even conflict at times, it's all resolved in in this in this filial atmosphere where you you recognize each other as brothers, as fathers, as friends, as colleagues, and and you know how to work together in that environment. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, that's absolutely right. And one of the things that people really love about the ARP is that you know we we do have some of the same divisions that other Presbyterian denominations have over. Uh, various issues from worship or theology, but but really it's a very small spectrum. We all tend to be pretty theologically aligned, and when we have debates or discussion, it's we're such a small denomination, we're such a friendly denomination that we're able to really have those discussions, I think, in a really charitable way because we all know one another and are trying to do ministry side by side with one another, and so it does give it a really warm that kind of family feel to it and uh, makes it a makes it a great place to be a minister. I'm really excited about where the ARP church is, especially as we've come through a long fight with liberalism that's well behind us now. And we're looking forward to being a, an ordinary means of grace denomination, planting churches and doing uh, mission work for the sake of Christ's kingdom. It's, it's just a good time to be in the ARP. Let's start with what you just mentioned, the direction of the ARP, looking forward. You have church planting is on the rise in the ARP. I met uh, one of your church planters, Leon Brown, who's going out to Los Angeles to That's plant right. a, 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 an intentionally multi-ethnic church in a very multi-ethnic neighborhood. I think he's even looking for a, a Korean uh, co-planter is what he's praying for and hoping to see. I know you have other church plants as well, and you have extensive work abroad. Can you tell us a little bit about how the bounds of the ARP are prospectively going to be pushed out and, and to cover uh, a greater geographic spread beyond even the southeast of the United States and Canada. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things that we're particularly excited about. So in the, in the recent history of the ARP Church, in the 1970s we would have had about 200 churches, and particularly from, I think, 1990 up until about 2000, 2002, we grew uh, by about 100 different churches, uh, some from transfer, some from church planting, and in the last couple of years, we've realized that if you look at our denomination, we're very much located in the southeast, which is good, but we also want to be able to reach out for Christ's kingdom throughout the, the U.S., Canada, and, and through the world. Uh, but also, too, that many of our churches are in uh, small uh, southern towns and suburban settings, and that's great, but we don't really have much of a reach into inner city context or large city or urban settings. And so one of the things our denomination is getting very intentional about is planning churches in those venues that we haven't been at, and also, too, doing so intentionally so that we're planning churches that then have the, the idea of replication and of the, the Great Commission built into their DNA so that, Lord willing, as soon as they particularize, they begin planting other churches so that we take our uh, presbyteries that we have, go into areas like Texas, Los Angeles, 
the Northeast where we really don't have much in the way of church representation and begin to grow presbyteries through strategically planting and praying that the Lord blesses his work in those new fields. What would you say is the single most important characteristic of the ARP today that will help you all along in in this effort to, to plant duplicatable church plants around the country and around the world? I think one of the things that will be most helpful for that is just how— uh, how do I put this, how united the denomination is behind this. This is something that you really do see churches and churchmen and all different kind of presbyteries realizing that as the ARP, we we love our heritage, we love these churches that we've had some since the Civil War before that time, but we really need to strategically grow and go where the people are uh, in order to minister in Christ's name. And so what you're seeing is the whole denomination is gathering around these men, and, and I like in particular two. So uh, for one example of this, we have a couple of church planters in uh, Louisiana and Texas, and they're actually planted out of a presbytery that's in eastern part of South Carolina. You might think, well, well, how does that work out? Uh, there's so much geographical distance in between Texas and the eastern part of South Carolina. But the presbytery is really intentional that we're going to be calling these men, praying for them, praying with them, uh, sending men out to go and visit them. I, I think that's the case with, with Leon Brown. They're going to form a provisional session for him, but they're actually going to make a point of flying elders out so that as he celebrates the Lord's Supper, they're there seeing the work. And so I, I think the, the small size of our denomination coupled with the real unity that we have and the good spirit in the synod means that we can send these guys off, but we're not just parachuting them and saying, hey, uh, here you go in three years, sink or swim, but they really are going with a lot of the thoughts, the prayers, and the support of the denomination as they do it. And I think that'll, Lord willing, prevent burnout for these young men and enable them to particularize their churches and then for us to show the same support to them as they seek to replicate in these new areas. What this communicates to me is that the ARP is joining uh, other larger denominations in NAPARC, Reformed denominations, in promoting um, um, and exercising leadership in the area of church planning. And that's, that's a huge encouragement to me, especially as one in seminary studying for the ministry now, to know that, that there will be, uh, that churches are multiplying and are looking for men to, to go out and to preach and to evangelize, to disciple the nations even here in the United States and, and in new contexts. And I, I, hope, um, I hope that the challenges Will be will be met with ordinary means of grace ministry. Mm -hmm. Will be met with confessional and biblical theology, right. and uh, will be addressed from that standpoint, the standpoint of the spiritual mission of the church to uh, to to reflect the beauty of Christ to a, a witnessing a world, a world that's witnessing the developments going on in his bride. There are some other areas that I noticed, the ARP um, joining other denominations in, in exercising theological leadership, and one of these was something that you proposed at Synod, a, a particular committee dealing with a hot-button issue that's, uh, that's raging across the United States and, and even impacting courts of uh, sister denominations mm. in NAPARC. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that was something that uh, my good friend and brother in the faith, Patrick Malfris, and I put together, and we, we came before Synod and made a motion that the Synod form a committee to study the question of whether or not homosexual orientation is morally neutral. Uh, 
Now, when we made this proposal, a lot of the members of the Synod kind of looked at us and turned their heads sideways a little bit uh, because this is not an issue that the ARP is dealing with right now. And I think if you were to go to the rank and file uh, elders or ministers of our denomination, they would look at that and say, well, of course homosexual orientation isn't morally neutral. It's, it's sinful desires and orientation that issue in sinful behavior and activity. And just like all the rest of us, we have sinful parts of our personality that we need to mortify and seek to vivify through the means of grace, more godly patterns and dispositions. But one of the things that we said to the Synod was, if you look out in some of our sister denominations that we love very much and are very encouraged by much of what's going on, this is turning into a raging debate. There are whole conferences that I'm sure many of our uh, listeners know all about and are in the news. Uh, there are uh, problems cropping up in presbyteries as to, to what do you do when a man comes to you and says, well, yes, I have a homosexual orientation. They would probably prefer the language of same-sex attraction. Uh, but think that it's a, a fallen, broken, but not sinful part of my personality, and I need to learn to embrace who I am as God has created me. Yes, he will remove this from me in the new heavens and the new earth, but there's not a whole lot I can do about it now. You're seeing these sort of things promoted in the NAPARC world, and we were very concerned because as a, a small part of NAPARC, but uh, a part of NAPARC that tends to have a lot of interaction with other denominations. We have a lot of ministers coming into us from these denominations, also uh, ministers transferring from our denomination into these denominations. We know that eventually this sort of stuff will come to us, and so we wanted to exercise leadership for our own sake in order to, as a denomination, codify what we think about this before it becomes an issue for us. But second, we also wanted to take an opportunity, since we don't have a lot of divisions over this question, to study and produce a thoroughly researched research paper and position paper of our synod that we pray, Lord willing, will be useful as other Christians through the NAPARC world seek to work through these issues. We've seen this, a similar move uh, taken up by the RPCNA in recent years, and, and the work that was produced out of that um, was supremely helpful. And it even came up in the PCA General Assembly as something that maybe should be uh, adopted um, as as an NTC declaration or study mm -hmm. paper of our own. That idea in particular was shot down at the PCAGA, and I, I don't think because of any particular disagreement with the document, but just because we usually don't do that. We usually produce our own papers as well. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and, and prayerful that the PCA will clarify its own disposition toward uh toward these uh you know this particular debate and i think that the arp's work that you're doing right now scott and that that you have proposed will be very helpful to the pca even though it's a much larger denomination so moving on from that there were some other issues that came up at synod what are what are Tell us a little bit about that. You can bring them up as, as you will, and we'll just engage with them as, as they're called to your mind. Yeah, absolutely. There were a, a number of things that we dealt with at the Synod, though we actually, uh, I think it shows the, the level of uh, camaraderie and, and hard work that went on and that we were able to conclude the business of the Synod in, in basically one day. Um, so it went by very quickly, but we did a lot of really significant work. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is we have been working on our book of discipline. And a decision was made when we had a draft presented from a uh, committee that did excellent work on putting together a first draft 
there were some concerns raised that if you look at the Book of Discipline as the revised draft was presented, it was very good from a technical standpoint in terms of this is how you set up a trial, this is how you go through the steps of discipline, this is what the steps of discipline are. Uh, some members of the court expressed concern that uh, it wasn't pastoral in tone, that there were a couple of sections that probably should be added as prolegomena to the book saying that you know you shouldn't rush uh, you shouldn't be litigious in spirit you shouldn't rush to make charges and accusations that it's the duty of sessions and elders and presbyteries to approach uh, divisive issues and moral failing issues in a pastoral context and uh, so that has been referred to our social and theological concerns committee that we have as a, a standing committee of our court that will be working on revising that this next year and and I think that's one of the most encouraging things about this last synod, insofar as if you look at the history of the ARP Church, particularly the last 30 or 40 years, because of some of the struggles that we had with liberalism and because of the, the culture of the denomination, you know, we're, a, we're an intensely Southern denomination, which uh, as a Southerner I, I have no problems with. Uh, of course, we're trying to, to grow more diverse and reach out into different areas. But one of the, the struggles that we've had is that we have a culture where sometimes we can we can err on the side of being a little too nice and not really dealing with issues. And so uh, discipline is something that hasn't really been done well in the ARP Church, and I think the reformation of the ARP Church is being evidenced in the fact that as many of our churches and presbyteries started trying to do discipline and really uphold the third mark of the church, we realized that our then current form of the Book of Discipline wasn't really well prepared to help us in those matters. So we're really trying to intentionally fill out our efforts to be shepherds and uh, overseers of Christ Church by making sure that we have a good book of discipline so that our Constitution really lays out for pastors and elders who are on the front lines, you know, exactly what happens when you come to a situation where you need to bring the keys of the kingdom to bear on a situation in order to reclaim sinners and to bring uh, of the church to a more peaceful state. And so that was something that I was really encouraged to see that everybody had the sense that we really need to get this right so that we can really fulfill our obligation as elders in the Church of Christ. And to clarify, the Book of Discipline in the ARP would be the analog to our Book of Church Order in the PCA or in the OPC. Yeah, it would be so we have the form of government, which is probably more the direct analog of the Book of Church Order. And our uh, Book of Discipline is very similar to the portion of the Book of Church Order that you find that deals with discipline cases. We, we follow that kind of older Scottish pattern that you see from the Westminster Assembly where those documents are not lumped under one title of the Book of Church Order, but you have the form of government, the Book of Worship, the, the Book, or well, rather I should say the Directory of Worship, and then the Book of Discipline. What other kinds of, of, of issues and topics did you all address? And, and just to be clear, this was not a contentious synod at all. In fact, you ended early because you got through all the business, right? Uh, even before your scheduled ending time. So everyone went home a day early or whatever. So what, but what other issues came up or, or what other things did you handle and how did you tackle them? A couple of things that came up from the floor but weren't in our docket was there was some concern raised over how money is being spent by some of our denominational agencies. So there was one uh, agency in particular where the director from that agency got a very substantial raise. 
and you know to the point that it was very significant and members from the court stood and said you know we, we don't have a, a problem men need to be well taken care of and particularly their families especially when they bear such a large burden as being the director of one of our uh, national agencies but the question was raised well why was this raise given what were the meritorious grounds for this and, and there wasn't a whole lot of clarity that was really forthcoming from that so as a result a member of the court made a motion that we form a committee which is you know a, a wonderfully presbyterian thing to do um that we form a committee to look at the salaries for all the directors of the agencies that we have in the synod to compare that perhaps with other denominations, do some kind of research, and then report back to us on how those salaries are being broken down, how they're being allocated, uh, various things like that. And, and again, you know, like you said, it wasn't a contentious thing, but clearly there was concern in the court over, you know, why this agency head makes this amount of money, this other agency head makes a more substantial or less substantial amount of money. And so the, the Senate really just wanted to understand better how we're spending our money. Uh, and in particular, this comes from the fact that our DMF, our Denominational Ministry Fund, which, uh, so in the ARP, the, the way we structure our, our agencies and the giving is that every church has to pay uh, a amount per communicant member, it varies by presbytery, to their presbytery for the work of presbytery. When it comes to the general synod level, it is the expectation, though it's not a requirement, that churches and presbyteries will give, the, the preferred amount is 10% of the church's income, to our denominational ministry fund. And then our stewardship committee at the synod level divvies that up in between our various agencies and, and ministries at the Senate level. And what we've been seeing is that, uh, particularly as you've gone through the Great Recession following 2008, our denominational ministry fund has taken a bit of a hit. We don't have as much money as we used to, or in some places it's fairly flat in terms of contributions. And so we're just wrestling with the fact that the Lord has been gracious to us, but we want to really use the Lord's money in a reasonable and effective way. Uh, another committee along those same lines was that uh, we looked at uh, a particular agency again, and we saw that the vast majority of the budget, well, maybe not vast majority, but a very significant portion of the budget went to overhead. And so there was some debate at the Senate as to, well, if an agency is doing X amount of ministry, really how much overhead needs to be paid for that to be done. And so, again, being Presbyterians, uh, there was a call for another committee to study just how all of our agencies use the money distributed to them from the denominational ministry fund and exactly how much ministry is done and what the cost is for that and just trying to make sure that we all are on the same page and understand exactly what's going on how much how money is being used and raising the question is this the most effective use of the money that christ has graciously given us as the head of the church questions of stewardship yes <laughs> those are good questions to ask you're in a unique position. Your call has you, on a daily basis, unless you're traveling, down in beautiful Due West, South Carolina, on the lovely campus of Erskine College and Seminary, though the seminary is moving, I think, 
up here to Greenville. Is that still the case? It's uh, it's opening an extension campus up here, and you know, of course, there's always discussions about you know what are the best venues for a seminary to be located at. But at this point, the uh, Erskine Seminary is opening up a location at our, our wonderful denominational headquarters over there off of uh, Pleasantburg and, uh, you know, trying to at least establish a presence uh, outside of Due West and Columbia, which are our two main extension sites, and to, and to see what the Lord might do in terms of doing more ministry in the Greenville area. And then as far as the college is concerned, as Dean of Enrollment, what would you want to communicate to our listeners about Erskine College and the value of an education there and the trajectory of the school moving forward, even based on synodical actions or just independent of synod? For people who want to know what Erskine is, and then why should I send my student to Erskine, or why should we consider this as a family? What is Erskine? It is a personal, liberal arts, Christian community. It's personal. We have a a small student body relative to other uh, colleges and universities, particularly in the state of South Carolina, and we actually view that as a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, You, you know, one of our professors likes to, to tell Uh, students and parents, you know, you really can't hide here. If you start skipping classes, your professor's going to see you in the lunch hall. They're going to send emails to you. Professors really do care about their students, and and that personal environment really helps us, I think, with regard to our our learning outcomes and the educational quality that you'll get. You know, you're not getting taught by some teaching assistant who's trying to navigate being a grad student and also being a TA for 300 people. You're getting taught directly by people with degrees in their field, more often than not terminal, uh, what we call PhD uh, credentialed professors. And so it's a very good personal environment. Uh, We also emphasize the liberal arts, which means that we view it as our duty not just to give you vocational training, though we do that. If you come, and particularly one of the things that we really excel at at Erskine is our pre-med program, where you'll major in uh, chemistry, biology, or perhaps double major in both. We have great success from our graduates who go out and say, I was very well prepared for med school. But what we view our job to do is to really round out the education that you've received up until that point and in a holistic way get you to think through every category of life literature history the sciences uh, physical education and health music all these areas are what we want you to leave so that you know in a world where you're probably going to change jobs sometimes five to six times over the course of your career whatever god calls you to we've given you an education so that you haven't just been taught facts but you've been taught how to learn And most importantly, we are a Christian liberal arts college. We want to see the supremacy of Christ upheld in the classroom, in the dorm room, in the locker room. Every part of the campus is important because we do fundamentally believe that there's not one square inch of this universe over which Christ does not say, it is mine. And so we want to teach our students to think God's thoughts after him, to presuppose the triune God in every area of educational endeavor that they go to and in their personal life. And so we seek to be a Christian liberal arts college with a academic village so that you can know and be known. And I recently made a visit down to Due West to work a little bit with with Scott's admissions team, and I can say from firsthand experience that it is an idyllic setting. It's not It's not a minuscule community. We're not talking about 25, 30, or even 200 students. We're talking about several hundred students. Mm-hmm. So you do have all of the resources and amenities of a fully-fledged um, college or university, but it's it's 
it's and it's not microcosmic, but it is definitely um, an, an intimate, personal, pastoral mm-hmm. kind of setting to send uh, to send your graduating high schoolers to, or at least to consider as you're thinking about college options. I would highly recommend it. Um, being from a big city up north, I went to a big city school in Philadelphia with over 40,000 students on campus. So my experience was much, much different. Mm-hmm. And though I enjoyed that to a degree, uh, a, a large part of me wishes that maybe I had had the, the small country uh, rus- rural school experience. Yes. Uh, another cool thing about Due West South Carolina, what is going on is interesting and usually related to the school. And right. so you get a really great holistic experience there. So that's our infomercial for Erskine College. Yes. And uh, and I got the man in the studio with me for that. If you want more information about it, Scott, where should they go? Erskine.edu? Yes, Erskine.edu. And uh, our website will get you in touch with our admissions department, various people at the school. We'd love to talk to anybody who might be interested in uh, looking for a Christian liberal arts college. And there are lovely people in the admissions department. I know them all personally now. I I have the privilege of being able to say that. Scott, moving on back to Synod, what what kinds of developments are we seeing internationally with the ARP? I know that you have significant works and relationships uh, with now independent works uh, out in Pakistan and in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And there is also a missionary who, though not in the ARP now, has deep personal family ties to the ARP Mm -hmm. who is who is uh, going through a trial, literally and figuratively, in Turkey. Can you tell us a little bit about these international developments with the ARP? Yes, absolutely. And the uh, the gentleman that Zach is referencing to, I'm sure, uh, is a name that probably most of our uh, listeners have heard, and that is Andrew Brunson. Uh, he and his family, uh, I believe, are out of the ARP church. He was working with our missions agency that we call World Witness, and uh, is now, I think, part of another agency. Our, our fields sometimes shift around, and it's probably more advantageous for missionaries if they're going to a particular area uh, to work with another denomination versus one when they shift emphasis. But Andrew is someone who uh, we all know in the Synod. We love very much and have been praying for him. Our Synod has actually set aside days of fasting and prayer throughout the denomination, in particular days when we ask our congregations to be in prayer for him. He was doing an excellent work in Turkey and was falsely accused uh, by some of the uh, government officials there as being an insurrectionist who was there trying to undercut the government. And and no, he was there uh, working for a kingdom that is not of this world, seeking to bring the gospel to bear on uh, the dark land that is Turkey. And he has been falsely accused and slandered. And so that's something that our Senate has really uh, united over. We've been in constant prayer over and uh, you know, please do keep praying for him. He's got a situation where I think his trial is still ongoing, and we're not exactly sure when we'll have some culmination to this. And you know, he's been suffering, being apart from his family, being in prison, and that's something that you know we're very concerned about. Um, some of the other things that we're doing. So we have uh, two synods that uh, have we planted them. Uh, they were, in a sense, our, our daughter synods, and they have now grown up and are fully self-operational. So in Pakistan, I believe the figures are somewhere around 100,000 ARPs in Pakistan, which is, uh, which is kind of funny because that's you know, almost twice as many uh, ARPs in Pakistan as we have in America. Uh, but the Lord has really blessed that work. The same uh, is true for the, the synod of Mexico that we planted some number of years ago and is continuing to thrive and do good ministry. Uh, One of the things that they've particularly been uh, excited to announce is 
So if you're going to try to minister in uh, areas where the government has outlawed Christianity, there are a number of different ways you can do that. And, and one of the ways that you can is to try to set up satellite radio and satellite television so that even if you can't be present on the ground in a place like Iran uh, or some of the countries that have outlawed Christianity, you can still beam uh, the Word of God and the preaching of it into that country through some of our technology. And we've got some exciting uh, new developments coming up with that, and we're really trying to ratchet up our attempt to get into places where they refuse to let us in formally, but uh, by God's grace, we might still be able to, to send the gospel there anyway. I think that there's even technology nowadays called the internet. Yes. <laughs> so, and that's, uh, but but the problem with that is, uh, as you, you see in China. Internet can be blocked. Yeah, internet radio can be blocked. Radio can't be blocked. Right, you can't block radio, and in particular, you can't block satellite television. And with many uh, people having that, you can beam that, and it will be there and available to support house churches and things like that. So, uh, so we're really excited about that. And, uh have a number of things that are going on in the Senate. One of the things that I think is unique is we have something called the Mobile Theological Training Unit, and this is where we have several uh, missionaries. I think they all have PhDs who are stationed here in the States, but we send them to Pakistan, to Africa, to various places, and help support pastors or help seminaries that are already there and go there for two or three weeks, do modular classes to give them access to training and and in particular, one-on-one -on -one mentorship that they might not be able to get uh, anywhere else. And so we have some really exciting things like that going on in the missions front. I think we've covered a lot of bases here. Was there anything else that you wanted to highlight from Synod before I make a statement about Greenville Seminary's relationship to the ARP and developments there? Yeah, uh, the, the only thing that really comes to mind is... One of the other things that we're going to take a look at is the vow that we use for our deacons when we ordain and or install them. So one of the unique things about the ARP Church, it's not totally unique, but uh, we allow uh, women to be ordained to the diaconate. Now this is something that the Synod is divided over. Uh, some people like, uh, like myself would be very opposed to women deacons, but uh, the way that it's worked out in the Senate is that it is a congregation-by-congregation congregation decision. So a congregation can say, no, we don't believe women should be allowed in the diaconate, and that's the, the decision of that congregation to make. But one of the things that uh, First Presbytery, our um, Presbytery in North Carolina, that's actually now dividing into two because they've had such success in church planting, is they brought up a motion saying, if you look at the way we handle the office of deacon, there are some ambiguities in it. So, for instance, we have only one set of ordination questions that we ask to elders and to deacons. But really in the ARP Church, we view the office of deacon as more of an office of service. And so giving the same vows to deacons that you do to elders in our context doesn't make sense. We, uh, some people raise the question of does that send the wrong signals uh, to our congregants who might not have the theological sophistication to know the difference. Uh, but on top of that, um, in that ordination vow, we use the language of obedience, that you vow all due obedience to the holder of that office. Now, with the office of eldership, that makes perfect sense. But with the diaconate, is that really the right sort of relationship that congregants should have to the diaconate in particular? 
because we allow women into the diaconate saying to the elders, we vow to obey you, and then turning around and saying particularly to a diaconate that might include women, we vow to obey you, is something that's theologically problematic. So our Senate has referred that, I think, again, to our Social and Theological Concerns Committee, and they'll be looking at what should we do? Should we modify the vows? How do we bring our uh, Book of Church Order equivalent, which is the form of government, into full conformity with how we view the office and how should our congregations be thinking through that issue when it comes time for ordination. So that was probably the last really significant thing that we uh, we did as a synod. We elected the moderator for next year, and that's one thing that's kind of different about the ARP. We don't elect moderators for the meeting that's going on. We elect them one year in advance, and uh, this year uh, Dr. Leslie Holmes, the provost of Erskine Seminary, was elected uh, this was, in many ways, a response to who Dr. Holmes is. He is a uh, an Irishman. Uh, he's a he's a, a fantastic man. He's uh, been used by the Lord in so many different ways. He actually helped broker the peace accords in 2006 and seven in Northern Ireland, um, and so he's just won over the hearts of the rank and file members of our denomination. But also, it was seen as I think a real encouragement from the Synod. Last year, Erskine came back and repented from some of our uh, theological errors and ways that we weren't faithful to the inerrancy of the Scripture, to the Reformed faith. And so I think the, the denomination really said through this, you know, we are behind you, we support Erskine, uh, we're praying for you, we, we want the Lord to be glorified by the continual Reformation. And so that was a, a really significant, and I thought, good moment for our Synod. As a seminary with strong relationships to individual congregations, particular churches, and, and a handful of presbyteries, um, it is still very encouraging for us to hear of, uh, of a rising interest in a denominational school and a commitment from a denomination to invest in a denominational school, um, not just financially, but also in terms of oversight and, and theological support and, uh, and safeguarding. And, mm-hmm. and trust what the Lord has given to uh, to your church. I mean, it's a great blessing for a church to have a a strong denominational seminary. Now, of course, denominational seminaries can be headaches to the church right. as well. But that usually only happens when the church itself is sick That's right. and exercising uh, poor oversight, like in the case with uh, Princeton Seminary in the mm-hmm. 1920s, as modernism swept through the church and then bled into the board of trustees there. Um, uh, but it's also a result of just neglect from an otherwise strong church putting up its hands and saying, yeah, seminary's fine, we don't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden you have theistic evolutionists teaching Old Testament and, That's right. and, and all kinds of other strange and wonderful things <laughs> that, that can happen in a school. Um, at Greenville, we're very thankful for our board of trustees who keep a close watch over our faith and our practice here at the seminary, particularly among our faculty and also our student body. And each year they're required as a board of trustees and the faculty and staff to not just read through the standards and, and, and sign off that you're going to do that, but sign off that you are in full agreement with the standards, um, that you fully subscribe to the standards, not just that you don't teach anything against sinners, but that, no, this is an accurate representation of my faith. This, in its entirety, describes what I believe. And with that, I probably should dovetail into why Greenville Seminary 
has served the ARP, um, albeit in a limited capacity over the years. But, but a significant capacity. But a significant capacity that, that's seen, um, that's borne a lot of fruit, particularly in the, um, in the Canadian Presbytery. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, our student body, about 6 to 6.5% of our student body, uh, comes from the ARP. And our men, either in the ruling elder program or in our divinity program, who are ordained or seeking ordination in ARP churches. One of our graduates this year, Martin Dendecker, received a call to Covenanters ARP in Nova Scotia. And he and his, uh, his wife Lisa and their two children moved up to Nova Scotia in a week or two after graduation this year. And, and I think he's uh, preaching his first sermon there as their pastor, um, starting a series this Sunday. And so we're excited by that. Uh, there are other men that I, whom I could name as well, um, but we are fully committed to promoting an enduring reformation in the ARP, which is the trajectory that this dear church has followed for the last, what, 40-some years. Yeah, and, and if that's one thing I could comment on and, and express, you know, really, I, I'm not a representative of the ARP necessarily, but I think if you went around and talked to various ministers and elders and congregations, one of the things that... Uh, they would express real thankfulness to Greenville Seminary for is producing excellent preachers. Uh, I was talking to a couple of guys at General Synod this year, and they you know, were talking about different seminaries and what's going on, and one of the uh, men said, well, there's, there's one thing I've learned. If you really want to learn how to preach, Greenville Seminary is an excellent place producing excellent preachers of the gospel. And uh, I actually had a friend of mine who uh, was interested in a couple of different seminaries, and he was at a another seminary that would be a sister uh, seminary of Greenville Seminary in our Napark world. And the admissions person at this institution that they were speaking to, uh, when he mentioned that he had a real high priority for preaching, he said, "Well, we do a pretty good job of that, but you know, actually, Greenville Seminary does an excellent job." So even even a admissions guy at another seminary was saying, "Hey, they they do a great job of this at Greenville Seminary," and so. Uh, many of our ARP churches are, are thankful for the Greenville graduates who have come, helped further the reformation of the ARP church, and have really brought the Word of God to bear on the ordinary means of grace ministry there. I think that's about as high a note as we can leave on. Mm. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining me and for giving me such a, an informative, interesting, and helpful interview to review the, the actions and the trajectory of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church here in the United States. Well, thank you, Zach. Uh, it was a real privilege to be on the podcast with you. I've been listening since the very first podcast, and so it's a real honor to be here with you today. You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.